0: I also want the world to know what really happened in the three months during which we rewrote the book on influencing influencing professional professional sports. Sports. I'm I'm going to stop stop. short of saying fixing because there's a fine line between fixing and influencing. Tim told me he could influence a game six points either way. Take
1: Take that that as you wish, but that's what he told me. What do you say to that? I don't ever recall saying that to him and I don't know why he wrote it in the book. Okay. Do you agree with what Tommy said regarding the fine line between fixing and manipulating? Yeah, I mean, I've always said, you know, fixing is different than manipulating the game. And I felt like that's what the NBA did. And that's what a lot of the referees did was manipulate the game. I I think if you were out fixing the games, you would have put the star players to the bench on phantom calls to, to make sure their team was at a major disadvantage. Fixing, manipulating. The data strongly suggests that Donahue fixed games, but outside of a confession, he'll always be able to deny it.
2: Josh's Lord of the Rings trivia wasn't fixed. It was influenced. This is spoilers.
3: spoilers. (laughs) What? Listen. Every trivia you've ever heard on this podcast is
2: manipulated. Manipulated, fixed, heavily bet on. Uh, We're moving the lines (laughs) here. But this is a special podcast, Josh. Pappy Josh Podcast. Together again for the first time since A Quiet Place we're here to talk about Ooh. A Quiet Place too,
0: right?
3: <laughs> I think it's also special because it's so basketball. It's so spoilers on brand. I think it's a continuation of our Last Dance series, kind of, mm-hmm. which you mentioned, which has its own feed on Spotify, I think, which I'm sure you'll add this to that, right?
2: We should probably just rename the feed like Spoilers Basketball or something rather than Last Dance. I love it. Put the uh, Star Wars spoilers <laughs> up there, too uh where we compare him to nba players I, I like this idea this is all your idea to i guess we're kind of talking about the whistleblower podcast but moreover we're really talking about the tim donaghy scandal he's having a resurgence he's having a moment
3: start of the nba season as we speak and i think we'll turn this episode around pretty quick this is actually part of spooky spoilers there's nothing more spooky than thinking of our childhood friend the nba just being fixed as shit the whole time that was clearly
2: a block what the fuck (laughs) his foot was on the line he was moving and dancing he wasn't sad (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. And there's also a Netflix documentary that came out, um, I think, just a couple weeks ago, Untold Operation Flagrant Foul, which is essentially like just the podcast, but like a condensed version of the story. Is it though?
3: Bill Simmons was shiting on the Netflix <laughs> series. He's sh- he's shitting on both, but especially the Netflix series sounds like it's very much Tim Gon- Tim Donaghy's like point of view. Where I feel like, maybe we can start getting into it a little bit here, Pappy, but I feel like Whistleblower, it's by this guy, T- Tim Livingston. Mm-hmm. I feel like Tim Donaghy, he gives him a shot, but I feel like he makes it very clear he doesn't believe him the entire time, right?
2: A hundred percent, yeah. Like, I mean, there's a couple main characters here. But all of the other like supporting cast, his friends, the people he was playing, placing bets with, they're all like, no, Tim's a liar. And they all disagree with Tim on a lot of like fundamental facts. And these are his closest friends and allies. And I feel like the podcast presents itself that way. I mean, I was surprised that Bill Simmons was going in so hard on it. Is it do you think it's just because it was sympathetic to Donaghy and he just really hates, really hates him?
3: bill simmons said multiple times i think it got a lot of things wrong but he never said what he thought the actual podcast whistleblower got wrong he did say the netflix special or series or whatever the hell it is he said that like they really act as if that whole meeting with tim donaghy and the batista guy and his friend tommy like Tim Donaghy sets that up as like he got shaken down by the mafia when really he like called that meeting with his two friends because he just wanted to like switch gamblers. Are we into it that far, Mm -hmm. Pappy? I don't know how you want to start this.
2: No, I think that's perfect. So (laughs) let's set up those players real quick. And let's pretend because there's this is also a movie podcast feed. So we don't normally talk about um, sports related things. But like I said, Tim Tim Donaghy is having this moment. There's multiple things you can listen to and watch about it that we're kind of covering in one. Um,
3: but at the end of this, we're going to give the podcast whistleblower a yes or no. Like, it's yeah. kind of officially a review of that podcast, right?
2: You've wanted to do a podcast on a podcast for so long, which I've always I supported. finally
3: got you. Yeah. I finally got you to listen to one. And that's the thing. That's why there's no other spoiler men on. Me and you just binge this. In a day. The last day and a half. Yeah. <laughs> and between editing and our previously scheduled spoilers program, we're just like, uh, pop on tonight mm-hmm. at 830. So... Um, I hope Brett doesn't feel left out we would have loved to
2: have you here but it's really off the cuff super off the cuff and like we we just pounded this time and Brett's been traveling anyway he'll be back tomorrow if you want to try and get a timeline of when we're recording things and when they come out
3: Um, he's the NBA guy a lot of info (laughs) in the Brett brain about the NBA for sure
2: I I would love to just ask Brett if he thinks the NBA is rigged I feel like he would say no but I just want to hear his answer he's a company man he's a podcast man (laughs) So, if Josh, if people don't remember Tim Donaghy, because this was 12 years ago now at this point, and like I said, maybe you're not a sports fan like us, what was the basic, like, your remembering of Tim Donaghy when the story broke? Like, the kind of general narrative that, like, came out of that time when it was, was, like, big news?
3: Well, even rewinding before that, he was a ref that if you watched... The nba in the 90s early 2000s maybe maybe you didn't know his name but you sure as hell recognized him
2: mm-hmm.
3: and he refed a ton of high profile games so
2: the nba has more like well-known refs than other sports you know what i mean like dick pavetta yeah Scott you can Foster. clearly
3: see their face not many of them and as we get into in this podcast which i didn't realize like So, there's such a small pool of refs, especially back in the 90s. So, we're talking like 34 refs doing the entire season.
2: And half of them went to the same high school.
3: (laughs) Yeah, they're all from the same Delaware County
4: area. So weird. That is weird. insane.
2: I mean, it makes sense in the sense that it's like... It makes sense because, like Tim Donaghy said, he saw people do it. So he kind of believed that he could do it. So there'd be more like, you know what I mean? It's a typical... It's not atypical for people to do their parents' industry. Why
3: is the RV industry in Elkhart? It's kind of the same thing, right? It's just places have different markets. Mm -hmm. But it does seem very... When you present (laughs) that
2: next to the narrative of like a con man liar like that Tim Donaghy is, you can start to like spin a larger... (laughs) like conspiracy theory narrative that is don't get me wrong entertaining as fuck like like these are this is a fun conspiracy theory to get into but like what i remember from tim donaghy was i think i don't it didn't happen in season did it it happened after the season and like his name was everywhere he's probably he then became the most famous official in like any sport Mm -hmm. at the time uh david stern the commissioner of the nba very famous was like staunch and clear and often repeated that this was a rogue official like acting alone um and that that was pretty much the end of it
3: stern he comes off as scary in this podcast series
2: (laughs) he is a scary guy
3: He's like the guy from... Uh, what is that movie that Mikey... Let's get into movies here a little bit, Pappy. Yeah. What's that movie that Mikey picked with... Thief. Yes, Thief. He's like the boss in Thief, too. <laughs> <Dude, laughs> he's going to put your kids in Wimpy Burgers. People will be eating them tomorrow. Don't even know it.
2: David Stern's face <laughs> is like not very friendly. And then I was listening to... Was, was this the same podcast that had Rashid Wallace on it at some point? He was on this oh, podcast. Yeah. Everyone, they were like, he's got this Napoleon syndrome. <laughs> like, you don't talk to us like that in our world because he's like a normal height, and these are like NBA players. But uh, big powerful lawyer. And I don't, Josh. Did you think about the Tim Donaghy scandal afterwards? Like, did it taint your view of sports permanently?
3: Come on. There's only one ref that has bet on its own game. It's impossible.
2: Like- yeah, that can't be true.
3: It felt like Stern was just like clamping down, like you said. It seemed obvious, and I think of a lot of the moves he did as laid out in this podcast. Whistleblower were shrewd and somewhat out in the open, but it was almost like, what can you do? Like the TV deal, right? Once it was done, it was done. Could mm-hmm. you explain that a little bit? You're the business guy. I was a little confused.
2: So the this is way later in the story after the FBI has started an investigation into like what's going on they approach the nba and the fbi is thinking that the nba is going to be like you know cooperative and a good partner in the investigation because they're going to want to like you know step out the fake officials so, so like they approach the nba at the same time they're getting tim donaghy ready to start like wearing a wire and you know sort of yeah like filling out the investigation so tim donaghy is going to go undercover This podcast, and Bill Simmons took a big issue with this in his retort of the podcast. I like how we're covering a podcast about a podcast on a podcast. It's very meta. But Bill Simmons took a big issue with this whistleblower podcast narrative that David Stern and the NBA, one, leaked the story to the post, which ostensibly you can't go undercover once this has been leaked to the post and the story comes out. And then number two, before they leaked it to the Post, re-upped all of their contracts with their television partners out of fear that the NBA product would be less valuable or whatever. Even though they still had plenty of time, and they I guess they made like a pretty penny too on re-upping these contracts.
3: But where's the lie?
2: Well, it's the one thing I'll say is like there, there's I don't know of any evidence either way, like. For sure I mean there's a lot of circumstantial evidence and obviously the NBA would have benefited greatly from leaking one um, but there's no like real proof of that so we can only kind of guess and like I said all of the incentives are there for them to leak but we don't know that part for sure but the TV things I don't That's know like the big I-
3: part of this podcast there's no evidence for anything yeah. really when it comes down to roughing a subjective game but, it's a big problem
2: but here's the thing though it's like it's not like the nba contracts did go down right like the nba rights the nba is still the second biggest sport in terms of television rights costs like obviously it costs more now in 2022 than it to own the rights to the nba than it did in 2007 and those are run by turner and disney still to this day like i don't think like it's not like fraud you know what i mean like Maybe they did it out of abundance of caution, but do you think that's like wrong to, I don't, I don't know. Like again, we're, we're it's just, it's correlation not causation, right? Like we don't really know that they're trying to screw over Disney and Turner.
3: If you buy a house, you're going to have someone come out and inspect the foundation, the furnace. Right. Isn't this kind of like you're spending billions of dollars and you are omitting a huge, huge thing. <laughs> yeah maybe it's not illegal but it's shrewd
2: that's way later in the story i did want to talk about tommy what'd you think about tommy to uh tim donaghy's lifelong friend
1: what was your working relationship like with tommy i mean what's there not to like about tommy you know he's the guy that has uh, anything you need and uh, everybody likes him and it just every time you were with him it was just a barrel last
2: Major character, probably the second biggest character of the podcast.
3: <laughs> Who did you send me a picture of that he reminded you of? What was no, that? So
2: that? So the guy that I sent you. Or was
3: that actually him?
2: Yeah. So the guy from The Sopranos does like a voiceover in this podcast at points.
3: Oh, I thought you you meant like the guy Tommy reminded you of that character in the show. Michael Imperial. But he Tommy is like such a character out of Goodfellas. He sounds like yeah, to me.
2: he does. Like a gangster.
3: He might be like, yeah, the biggest constant in this pod. Cause like at some point, Tim Donaghy like stops giving Tim Livingston interviews, but Tommy is along for the ride the whole way. He's really endearing, actually. He seems like a family guy, right,
2: Pap? Here's the thing that I don't like understand. And so here's the big scheme, right? So, and here's what whistleblower and Tim Donaghy I guess so not whistleblower maybe but this is what Tim Donaghy alleges on the whistleblower podcast with some skepticism from the creator like you said but Fair Tommy seems like a good guy like you said like when Tommy says something in the podcast I tend to believe it and like one of the main lies then which when you listen to whistleblower you obviously believe Tommy is that Tim Donaghy claims that he was threatened by this third main character baba or batista who's a professional gambler and tommy's like that just straight up didn't happen <laughs> baba's like that didn't happen in terms like oh dude, yeah i gonna kill my wife and kids <laughs> it's just like dude
3: that's why whistleblower is awesome because he's like straight up says he it almost sounds like he has a hidden mic on tommy where he's like he always says that uh batista threatened him when i went to the bathroom thing is never actually went to the bathroom. (laughs) I was always around.
0: Both of them were lying. Lying about, lying About, about what? About the fact that okay, so Batista the big lying point was that Donaghy was threatened by Batista. The fact of the matter is he wasn't. But Tim asked me to back him up you know on that so i always have to say i never threaten them, but i don't i'm
2: gonna ask you because you are you're deep in a podcast like myself do you like when they do the true crime serial thing when the last few episodes are being like recorded and produced after the first episodes are coming out so they, they kind of are also focused on the reaction of the people the subject matter to the show i think that's fair i think it's okay
3: you have to be able to maybe release some episodes to have a product to show people to continue giving you interviews maybe Mm -hmm. you know what i mean um so i understand it one thing i have a problem with and i think it needs to be done super tastefully and i think maybe they went over the line a little bit a few times in whistleblower is like maybe the navel gazing of I'm trying to get this interview with this person. Yeah. We'll see if it happens, but maybe it won't. Maybe it will. Can we
2: make it out of New York Uh, in time? (laughs) How is the traffic?
3: (laughs) (laughs) And a couple of times, like I felt myself definitely along for the ride and I did like it, but didn't you think it was maybe a little too constant? Like almost every interview he got, he was like, I couldn't believe I got this person. It's like, okay, at some point, like you've been there, man, you've done that. It's okay.
2: That, didn't bother me as much as when they did the like when they all went to the casino together and placed a bet and they were all kind of hanging out i didn't glean a lot from that and maybe to bill simmons point it's garnering a lot of sympathy for someone who's pumping out a narrative that tim donaghy that's just straight up not true you know what i mean it's kind of like hanging out with him showing that he's like a good guy and stuff and maybe he is reformed but like in the the topic of this discussion, he is a fucking liar <laughs> and a fraud. <laughs> like, like, I don't know if I need to go hang out with him. At no, Harrah's I think you're wrong, though.
3: <laughs> I guess you could interpret it that way. But don't you enjoy seeing what or at least hearing what Tim Don- Donaghy is like behind closed doors like the real him? Whether that makes you have sympathy for him or not, we can both recognize him as a huge liar. But it's interesting. I think Dude. I love hearing him joke around for at least a little
2: bit. That's a good point because something that doesn't add up to me is that Tim Donaghy's got all of these like super close buddies. Like, I mean, his best friend's Tommy, but then apparently he's also like such good friends with scott mm-hmm. foster that he's calling him like multiple times a day and before That's weird. he came, like dude tim is <laughs> a prick like the stories that they tell about him when he's like kicking down the door and like pouring water on his friend like he, while he's taking a poop like tim is not a fun guy to be a friend like why would scott foster want to be his friend <laughs>
3: <laughs> because he's willing to put his ass on the line and manipulate games and fix them and he wanted to get on that action
2: I feel like right? that's a big thing. I don't thing. know. I feel like Tim Donaghy took a lot... A lot of Tim Donaghy's ego was built up in being an NBA ref. I feel like he got a lot out of that.
3: Most of the refs that we know by name, I feel like that's true. Like, yeah. Their egos are gigantic. Um, there was another podcast we also listened to for research. Or did you listen to it?
2: I forgot to. Uh, Pappy? Sorry. Can you tell me? Just tell me about it. What was...
3: There's this podcast by Michael Lewis. It's called like Against the Rules or something. And it's about like in society, how the referees of society are kind of like failing. And I think this is kind of like when Trump was getting elected and people were starting to question the system and voting and electing.
2: The institutions are failing us,
4: man.
3: So he starts off with this episode about the NBA and their refs. He never mentions like the Tim Donaghy scandal once, and it's basically an apologetics about how far of lengths the NBA goes to to get the calls right and how kind of like ridiculous it is that they go through those lengths. And I wish you would have listened to it because it like listening to it in the middle of listening through the whistleblower pod sounded very very naive at State points.
4: And the Clippers will check in about 9:30 uh, roughly.
2: I'm back with Joe Borgia in the replay center. The refs here sit dressed in black, staring at screens, waiting for a signal from somewhere in America. The end of games is when they get most involved because that's when fans and coaches and players are most likely to accuse some ref of having made the mistake that changed the outcome. Of course, a mistake at the beginning has just as much effect on a game as a mistake at the end. But the end is what people notice and get outraged about. So the justice at the end of the game must be more exact than it is at the beginning.
3: It's a pretty good podcast. You should check it out at some point, but listen to the basketball episode. It's good but a little naive about the NBA and Pappy, maybe this can trigger the next conversation here. Like, do you think and have you always thought that the NBA cheats for certain franchises and certain players.
2: NBA jam always cheated for the bulls. So let's start there. Is that
3: not fucking reality seeping into the system? Life
2: (laughs) imitates art, imitates life. Yes,
3: exactly. It's the matrix. It's simulation.
2: Yeah. I mean, the NBA has a lot of influence over these people and they're making a lot of money doing a very high profile job that a lot of people want to do and when you're an employee at that level and your boss is so incentivized for things like game sevens like it's easy to like think that that's possible at the same time i feel like if the nba could like implement some kind of like ai system that just scanned all over the floor and got every call correct but they could like tweak to what extent that things were called, they probably would. But that's that's the other thing, you know. Josh, you played basketball, in in all, in a lot of sports, you know, like in football, there's holding on every play. They talk about this in basketball. It's not like Tim Donaghy was, Tim like they don't really accuse Tim Donaghy of calling like ghost fouls or things that didn't happen. It's more like selectively enforcing the rules, which is so hard to to prove.
3: Yeah, and I think you can talk around this. In circles uh, manipulate fix yeah um, i don't yeah
2: i don't care about tim Donaghy's distinction between he never fixed <laughs> or he manipulated
3: Dude, no okay. it's bull yeah. it's such bullshit so one thing pappy i don't think an ai could get is if my hand is on you like just my hand is on like your chest or your shoulder how could an ai tell how much pressure i'm putting onto you with that hand right Is it just lightly touching you? Is it just touching your jersey practically? Or am I like pushing you? You know what I mean? And I think you need a human at this point to really determine that.
2: Oh, at this point, for sure. But
3: It's hard to imagine an AI getting some of those. That's what I always come back to in my brain. Like what would be the hardest job for an AI? Because yeah, like goaltending... And if a foot was on the line and how many seconds are on the clock and AI probably could be doing that already.
2: Mm-hmm. Do you, I don't think that the, you asked me a little bit ago, if I think that the NBA cheats, like, I don't know, for as long as I've watched sports, it's just kind of been a common understanding, at least at the professional level, that stars are just going to get calls. Yeah. You know I mean, like, I don't right or wrong, like it's not officiated in the same way an Olympic sport would be officiated. You know what I mean? Like totally impartially. And like I said, for better or worse, but that's just kind of part of the thing. Like Tom Brady is going to get more roughing the passer penalties than like, you know, Josh Allen at this point or something. Right. Like, I, I don't know just cause he's like a veteran. He's super famous. Even like, like out of respect for him.
1: Hanson, who, uh, 11 years in the league can still run people down. Brady in trouble. Here comes the rush, and here's the hit and a Brady's up. That's good to see, but a what looked like a knockout hit by Nate Clements, who played against Brady when they were both in the Big Ten. Clements at uh, Ohio State, Brady at Michigan. That Not hit glad to see Brady get up. That was a.
2: Knockout. And I think that's because at the end of the day, it's an entertainment product, right? But do they cheat? Well, that's the
3: whole argument. Yeah. Is this WWE or is this an athletic competition?
2: That's something that's super interesting. So the FBI guy, what was his name? Like, do you remember? Scal- Scalia? Scalia, yeah. Bill Scalia? So like Scalia, like he says in this, in what sounds like, I don't know if this is also like a hot mic situation, but he says that. Bill Scala. Bill Scala. That the NBA is this close. And the narrator of the podcast says that he held up his fingers, like super close, like two fingers to being the WWF. Then when you watch the Netflix documentary, he repeats the same line, but he adds a very critical. Some say the NBA is this close to being the WWF. And I'm like, Motherfucker, you're some. You said that on the other podcast that's that close to being the WWF. <laughs> I think that's like extremely ex- exaggerated. You know what I mean? That does not seem that just does not seem true. Like these games are being actually wagered on.
3: In the same way you would expect Hulk Hogan or the Ultimate Warrior to win the match over the Undertaker in the nineties, you're gonna expect Michael Jordan to beat Sean Kemp or Carl Malone in the NBA. And I think that's a pretty good one-to-one. They kept calling it ballet yeah, as well. Choreographed ballet. Um, Yeah. You watch Tony Parker do some of his spins in the lane <laughs> when you're rewatching the Sun Spurs series. Yeah. It does look like ballet.
2: But that's a pretty inaccurate analogy, right? Because to say that it's like choreographed means that like you said like literally they have like some kind of run through where Tony Parker is like okay I'm going to spin here at this point in the game which is not no even close no, to what's happening no. it's like maybe has a professional sports league ever in my lifetime in one way or another put their thumb on the scale for a team to win probably but that's a pretty intense accusation i feel like you would need some evidence but it's so hard when you're parsing like what's being selectively enforced, like and that's what they keep coming back to too. It's it's hard to tell if they're being selectively enforced. And Tim Donaghy's so fucking stupid, he could have gotten away with this forever, and he was only making two thousand dollars a game.
3: Well, aren't the numbers kind of argued about?
2: Yeah. So I, he told the FBI that he was getting at first two thousand and then later five thousand dollars a game to do this, while this Baba guy mm-hmm. is betting like two million dollars on a game based on these outcomes and winning at an 80% rate based on and only on Tim Donaghy's games. like Do you think the other refs, I guess to what extent do you think those conspiracy theory aspects of the podcast are true? One of the biggest proofs
3: for me that I find to be true is that with a small group of refs that are tight knit, that are getting paid very good money and have a very fun job, like, they want to keep that job. And if you've ever worked at a company, even for a couple of years, these refs are like decades in, in some cases, you do become a company man. Like you understand what the company wants and you have a really high knowledge of how to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I think some of the examples and maybe Pat, this is what could be fun for us to talk about is maybe specific games or specific tactics a ref could take. You mentioned calling like a quick foul on someone earlier, right? Like two, yeah. like Kobe, Kobe Bryant would never get two like quick fouls. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause the Lakers are like the, the golden child, but a big man who he's playing against might get two quick fouls in the second quarter. And if you know about basketball, like, that completely changes the character arc for that player for the whole game, doesn't it?
2: Oh yeah, I mean, hundred percent. You can basically take someone out for the entire second half if you call two quick fouls on them at you know early in the third quarter. Someone used that example that I heard, and again, Tim is also selectively picking the most controversial moments of refereeing as like proof positive. But he's like he, I think it was Scott Foster. I don't remember which other ref, but he's like he hated Allen Iverson. And so, like, immediately within, like, the first quarter, Allen Iverson had, like, four palming calls on him (laughs) as he was, like, driving to the rim and, like, coming from all different officials. So that was, like, a choreographed inside job. But I also don't know, like, I mean, the the NBA could have literally sent them an email an hour before because the, the documentary does point out that the NBA gives them points of emphasis.
3: I remember like watching finals games and playoff games back in the day <laughs> it's and going would be a
2: point of emphasis in the game. Yeah,
3: no one can touch Shaq this game. That's <laughs> a Huge point of point emphasis. Of emphasis. Yeah.
2: <laughs> hey, if Kobe Bryant <laughs> hits you in the face with his elbow, that's on you <laughs> in this game. That's a foul.
3: <laughs> if Steve Nash's nose bleeds on you, that's a, this is kind of tangent, but I love thinking about the Suns' Um, was it the Western Conference Finals? It was this, the Suns versus Spurs. It's 2007, so it's right in the middle of this Donaghy bullshit. And from my perspective, I wasn't a huge Suns fan, but I was going for them in that series, and it just felt like they were getting hosed over and over again. Of course, Tim Donaghy was one of the refs on the floor. Do you remember a specific thing where the league, like, suspended Amari Stoudemire for a game for like step daring to step foot on the court when he was on the bench when Steve Nash got like shoved into the scorers
2: table yeah there was just
3: so much crap going on it was so crazy where were you at in the world last
1: time down court tried again go behind the back again to Stoudemire Nash had 15 assists 20 seconds to go after Spurs missed they need to foul Steve Nash that's a little hard (laughs) <laughs> Robert Oren checks him into the scores table he found him all right yeah this is where big shot rob might have become cheap shot rob take another couple of looks mm.
2: Yeah, of course.
1: Nash has already been beat up enough in this series with a bloody nose. He said afterwards he was thinking about getting up because, uh, as he put it, he's been working on the gun. Yes, well, and watch out—the guns will get you. <laughs> Raja, Raja Bell gets one in one Ori's face. Here. Ori gets tossed. Could be looking at a suspension from the NBA. Uh, Raja Bell got teed up. There was talk that Amari Stoudemire left the bench to come to Steve Nash's aid, but we haven't seen any video proof of that. The NBA, of course, will be checking that. Uh, if he did uh, leave the bench, it's a one-game suspension.
4: Well, it's definitely tough to sit out. You know, uh, it's, uh, I've never been suspended before. It's something that never happened. So, uh, when my teammates can ride it together and, and try to get a win tonight.
2: Were you surprised? Were you surprised by the decision, or what
4: did you expect? Uh, after, after reviewing it and watching it myself uh, I wasn't surprised at, at, at the decision that was made uh, I definitely stepped on the court for a couple of feet and, uh, and and so I think it was a well thought decision and, and I accepted I did step on the court um, I, I think my, my manner behind it was a little more aggressive than when Tim Duncan stepped on the court, so I guess that's why they made the decision between the two different cases. Uh, I'm not—I'm not quite sure. I, I don't know how the rules are. I don't, I don't know the uh, the lingo to it, but uh, I know you can't step on the court. And at that time, it was a natural reaction. Uh, I really didn't think about it. I just wanted to make sure Steve was okay, and uh, then I got penalized for it.
2: No, I remember that because that was the same year or the year after the Malice of the Palace, I think, and it was one of those. Points of emphasis from the almighty David Stern, you know, who not only control like the way they w- walked in the locker room, like wanted to control every aspect of the NBA's brand. So, I I, I do kind of remember that specific example of being like, if you set foot on the court, or any player who leaves the bench during a fight will be suspended. But that's the thing, right? Is like, there's so many bullshit moments and calls and like basketball more than any other sport is subjective like you were saying but that's what makes it so easy for someone like Tim Donaghy to spin a narrative that there was a bigger grand conspiracy rather than like because like you remember that time when you remember the Phil Jackson story that he told
3: (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's kind of what you were talking about earlier just like stars get calls right
2: they don't want charge or they don't want traveling called on him and it's like yeah. That's probably true but like Phil Jackson saying that doesn't imply a big oh conspiracy. him with a capital H. Yeah. Sorry. The royal him. <laughs> Dude.
3: <laughs> no, I mean that's like that seems like a sly tactic from Phil Jackson like I I do though think deep down the coaches, players, refs, front office. I think there's a known agenda Big market teams, players that have endorsements and advertising deals, like those people get favors. And I do think that's kind of bullshit. And I realize that's been an understood oh, yeah. thing our whole life, but it's it's pretty dumb.
2: Well, I would say And the
3: NBA doesn't seem to be taking many efforts to stop it. In fact, they seem to like doing it.
2: Yeah, I guess so. I would say that like more so recently, we've seen some small market teams win championships, right? Like Toronto won a couple of years ago, Milwaukee won a couple of years ago. But it also seems like at least they have maybe a more diverse group of officials too. That might, yeah, that might help. Like, I don't know, like the way they were describing too, like the way officials behaved in the 90s, that shit was fucking insane. Like, do you remember any of those? Stories like, not just like the sexual stuff, but like the fraud with the airline tickets and everything.
3: So that's interesting
2: because
1: you told me about a lot of referees and their infidelities. There was only one guy that didn't cheat on his wife. That was (laughs) He was the only guy I know that didn't cheat on his wife. Everybody else from the minute you fucking got in your car and went to the airport was fucking chasing pussy. 27 days a month. What are you gonna do? what are you going to do, you know? And I was just so bored, I fucking just got into the gamble And That was my, you know, time. I, I worked out, and I'd sit in my room and fucking look at the lines.
3: The most shocking one is where Tommy and Timmy are talking about, like, getting blowjobs in a car together. Oh, yeah. It's very explicit, actually. But, no, it seems like most of... <laughs> Dude, the funniest part of the podcast is when Tim Donaghy is just going beep alcoholic huge alcoholic <laughs> <Yeah>. Beep, alcoholic <laughs> fucking
2: alcoholic he said <laughs> dude he said every single person uh, cheated on their wife except one and they bleeped out the one <laughs> so it's like <laughs> why do you think they bleeped that out do you think tim asked them to
3: i think you're talking about like legal allegations at that point like defamation and stuff
2: right and you just can't let Tim's lies run that rampant. Like you have to like control him <laughs> editorially a little
0: bit.
3: <laughs> well, speaking of this whole whistleblower podcast, especially in the first couple episodes, like you don't need to know a bunch about basketball or spe- sports betting to get into this. Like, don't you think it's maybe overexplained in some sections?
2: Um maybe. Like no? it's kinda of one of it's kind of both. Where they anyone who's listening to this podcast i would presume kind of understands how a line works and so i don't know like how in-depth they had to get into all of that but i i do find it interesting when they're explaining like the way a sports book makes money like i don't know how like i don't know if you need to understand that to understand um everything but like so for example like the way a sports book just really quick the way the sports book makes money and wants the the, the money on each side to be even. Long story short, like they want the same amount bet on team A as team B. Part of this scheme was that when Tim Donaghy would give the picks to Baba, he would start like betting in Asia to influence the lines. And then by the time the lines got around to America, like, you know, the next half day or whatever, he would then hammer the other side of the line. Does that make sense, like, the way I explained it? Like, did you understand that concept? I feel
3: like he was taking the edge he had from Donaghy's manipulation and making it even more unbeatable by adding, like, another point or two to it.
2: They all got so... Is that gre- basically it? They got so greedy. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, why not? <laughs> like, why not just keep it small, but in little little increments?
1: So, And they fucking said, fuck you and then took my pension like that. You now I had four kids. You know, I got lucky and recovered, but, you know, I could be fucking homeless somewhere if I didn't have parents and good friends, and they didn't fucking care. Donahue painted a vivid picture for Scala and the FBI about the NBA's refereeing culture. And according to him, the high-stress, nomadic lifestyle took a toll on many of his former colleagues.
2: The way that Tim Livingston presents it it's like no one's going to believe this guy because of these things that he claims and he's also a liar but he seems to be pointing to this broader conspiracy like i feel to me it's like it's two stories it's you have the story of tim donaghy disgraced referee and they say the word disgraced a lot in this podcast as an adjective in in front of referee which i find funny but then you have (laughs) the like broader like cross sport context of like our sports officiated fairly and if that and in in that story you know tim donaghy's anecdotal evidence is very inconvincing still you know what i mean right because he's a known liar sort of prison time like still lies to this day about things that are verifiably false like to me if you want to tell the story of that like things are rigged like I'd rather see some most, like empirical evidence. You know what I mean? Like a normal player gets fouled in the situation X amount of times, but Kobe Bryant gets fouled like 80% of times when he goes to the rim in the fourth quarter or something. You know what I mean? Like I would like rather see some hard evidence of that accusation rather than this whole thing is through the lens of Tim. E,
3: but there's your problem. It It won't just be the fourth quarter, right? If the NBA is smart enough to spread it around, these refs are savvy enough to call two quick fouls in the first quarter, or maybe the third quarter, or that whole thing about Donaghy, if it's the team he's not going for, if he sees their foot near the line, he's sure to call it. Right. Right?
2: Yeah. Maybe it's more than selective enforcement at that point.
3: I love that it's like one of the things they point to, Tim Donaghy was known as a good ref. That's
2: so crazy.
3: His percentage of correct calls was high. But that just means like call more calls.
2: Mm-hmm. But that makes for boring basketball to watch. That's the problem. And I think like that's really the problem, right? Because if basketball was actually official to the letter of the law, it'd be like unwatchable. Don't you think? Am I crazy?
3: Basketball and football.
2: Oh, 100%. Like I said, they'd be holding on every play. But to be the third highest rated official and to be actively manipulating games, what was the worst official doing?
3: (laughs) 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 But yet you don't think that there's anything nefarious about what the NBA is doing from a high level. You think it's all in the up and up, do you? Um, You've earned the good calls michael jordan no
2: i don't think that's right either but when like i said when the employee or when the referees are employees of the nba and not like some independent body uh, no i i 100 think that at some point in my life games have been manipulated like dude the fucking patriots won the super bowl like four months after 9 11 the patriots like come on like i don't know (laughs) I don't know.
3: George Bush himself radioed that one in. Listen, I
2: I would guess that in my lifetime, I've definitely seen athletic events that were manipulated, but it's hard to know how high up that goes. And there's a new commissioner in the NBA too, Adam Silver, and for some reason, he seems less bad than David Stern.
3: What I think is cool about sports, even if Tim Donaghy's on the court and it's a close game... He says six points either way. He can manipulate the spread. Oh, yeah. But if some random dude is on fire truly or having a transcendental like performance, they could still beat the refing crew. And that's kind of cool, you know? And it almost makes, uh, maybe when mid market teams win, everyone knows it's like that much harder for them to do it because they have all those other forces against them. Mm-hmm. and it's not right but it makes it
2: more special or something. That's the thing it's like if there was this widespread um conspiracy that the NBA was doing the Spurs would have so many fewer championships <laughs> than they had. Like right like how many times in the 2000s did San Antonio the most boring team come out of the West? Like their main player was nicknamed the big fundamental that's not exciting, you know what I mean? He's not fucking Air Jordan. He's the big fundamental. So it's like, if that was happening, I think that there would be more evidence of that. Like, like, like I said, they would have like suppressed that team.
3: But that's an example of a team that kind of got built differently outside of the typical system. And I honestly think, like I said, with a transcendental like performance, you could have a group of guys that come together and all of a sudden for a year or two, they're challenging that status quo of the Lakers Celtics mm-hmm. winning it every year, pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And that makes for like really exciting
2: entertainment, Pap. You no, know, it makes for even more exciting entertainment. <laughs> what? Totally fairly officiated. <laughs> <game>.
3: <laughs> if it's so exciting, then why would it be built into NBA
2: jam? Pappy? So, <laughs> they, like I said, life imitates art. The developers of NBA Jam knew something none of us knew. I mean, he was
1: drinking, literally. At halftime, he'd walk out with fucking vodka and Gatorade and have it at the scores table, and every time out, in the second half, he'd fucking take a hit of it.
3: Yeah. Then he finally, they made him go to rehab. Just like to finish out the Whistleblower podcast, the last few episodes mostly surround him, like, nailing down this Phil Scala FBI interview. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's pretty interesting. But as like Bill Simmons pointed out, this is an FBI guy that's not necessarily a basketball
2: man, right?
3: And I think Bill Simmons needs to give people credit that listened to Whistleblower. Like, we don't think Tim Donaghy is like a cool guy. No, after yeah.
2: To that, <laughs> and the thing of it is too. So like the Netflix documentary obviously shaves off a lot. It's the same core story, but it's a sixth of the length of Whistleblower. Too much as we shit on him, framing the interview, like you know, and like leading up to it, like oh my god, I'm gonna get this interview. The uh, what's his name, Scala, the FBI agent, Yeah. he comes out and says, yeah. "Dude, this was twelve fucking years ago. Like I, <laughs> I barely re- like you know what I mean. Like he's not gonna like remember anything." And then like Bill Simmons points out, this wasn't a big case for them. Like they didn't really care that much they had bigger fish to fry this is the guy who like took down john Gotti.
3: well he even says in whistleblower that the fbi kind of felt like they put the scare into the nba and that was like enough for them to feel satisfied i thought that was kind of cool
2: Mm
0: -hmm.
2: yeah i mean i i think it built up well to that interview and i think that that interview was probably the most explosive and best part of the podcast right like would you agree like the way that it led up to it that was like if i was going to listen back to an episode that would be the one like i mean looking through the episodes here i forgot like the whole what changed episode that's just in reference to getting this interview right so a whole episode's dedicated to like the build up <laughs> or like the main part of it is the build up to that interview
3: were you hoping at all there would be an episode that just like straight up went over 12 games. And like you said, the stats are like the breakdown. I felt like they were leading up to that almost and like backed off it or something.
2: I feel like, like I said, I feel like there's just, there would be a way to levy these claims and have a more systematic approach because like, we're both saying that intuitively watching sports, we know it's not called a hundred percent fairly. Not that, you know, that could imply a, a grand Northern conspiracy of the leagues where everyone's like you know like from david stern a pigeon sent, and it says lakers on it and it gets burned and then they call like you know favor the lakers that game or it could just be like it's scary to call a foul on michael jordan the most famous person in the world you know what i mean that that could be as much yeah. a part of it too but like to do yeah. to do that you would need to like i would even say like get a group of like 500 independent referees like at the college level or something or like even attorneys and like have them have the, the definition as it's written in the, in the NBA rule book and watch and like see if they agree with the call, like just isolate the clips and don't give them any context, even if it was called or not and see, was there a foul on that play and see like, you know, where's the most variance of that? Like, I mean, there's just different ways, right. That you could go about it. To me, it's just like really flimsy evidence tim donaghy the liar to like build up to this whole conspiracy because that's like what the podcast does you know it's like building up to we have tim donaghy but the nba is this close to being the wwf and choreographed ballet mm-hmm. and like and tim Donaghy is sad about it too he's like oh you know i i used to like basketball this is so hard to hear i i, I don't know i i mean sorry for the pappy rant
3: <laughs> no it was great I think some people have a real sense of justice, Pap. I, th- I think Tim Livingston basically feels tricked, right? He always probably knew watching sports that like some, there's the thumb on the scale, like you put it earlier. Mm-hmm. But he went through this whole journey just to find out that like, It wasn't because of like the heart or dedication. It was because some idiot like Tim Donaghy called their foot on the line. Well, that's the thing. It's just sad for him personally. So his
2: favorite team's the Lakers, right? Is it, what would be worse in your opinion? Finding out that like, you know, like for example, like your favorite team, Michael, like that Michael Jordan's championships are all fraudulent or that you got screwed out of a championship because of a fraudulent call. I feel like it'd be worse to find out that like my hero was fake. Than the other way around. Or we didn't really win that one.
3: With Kobe having passed away, it's kind of tough to hear some of this stuff, you know? Right. Like some of his superhuman feats were maybe boosted a little bit.
2: But again, anybody with eyes who watches any amount of basketball sees it. You know what I mean? That like he's going to get more calls when he goes to the rim than your average player. Like you don't have to be a genius to see that. It's out in the open.
3: Dude, if you look at like... Michael Jordan and Kobe, they're just like good looking dudes with good smiles. True. Like in real life, if you're hanging out with someone like that, that's like charming, it's hard to knock them down a peg. Mm -hmm. They'll knock you down a peg next. It's just
2: tough. That's always such horseshit when like a really great athlete's also handsome. It's like, dude, fuck you, Ronaldo. Like you don't get to have everything. That's not (laughs) like I want my, I want him to look like Babe Ruth. You know what I mean? Like he's a, he ain't much to look at, but boy, can he slug the ball.
3: That's why I really respect, like, Bob Dylan and John Lennon. Like, just kind (laughs) of ugly dudes, but great musicians (laughs) made it work.
2: I don't know. On their own merit. Um, I didn't have any other things. The only final note that I had was that, like, you really don't remember bad calls or potentially, you know, like, game-fixing calls when they happen earlier in the game, right? Like, no one's going to remember a foul that led to the Bulls getting the ball and then Michael Jordan hitting the game-winning shot. They're not gonna remember the game-winning shot, and it's like it, it. I do get that how easy it is to get like titillated, you know, by that that idea.
3: What's cool about this podcast, and even about what Michael Lewis said in his podcast about they talk about them creating this huge replay center. I don't know if you know about it, Pap, but like. Mm-hmm. They actually created this huge like complex to call in all like every in the last two minutes. There's like this group of people looking at all the videos so that they can like actually get it right. If someone stepped on the line or not, like that call will be made correct from the replay booth in like a different state. And I think podcasts like this whistleblower podcast and just bringing attention to this is good because it just keeps the nba honest like they have a really high incentive now to prove to their fans that things are fair and i hope that means that they actually are making things fair because like the nba is a great product pap they Mm -hmm. they shouldn't have to fix games they have the best athletes in the world they have some of the coolest personalities in the world I don't think they need to fix things to make money,
2: Pap. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the replay is a double-edged sword because anybody who has watched, you know, NBA, especially like the the whole momentum of the last 2 minutes of the game can just be like brutalized by replay at times. Like especially if they're trying to review like the severity of a foul or something, and then they have to review, was his foot on the line? Like, that can be a real drag. But I think it does keep him honest. I think it's a step in the right direction. And honestly, I think legalized gambling is a step in the right direction. Like, the fact that yeah, the NBA has an official sportsbook partner, they have a huge incentive now to not cheat, which they didn't necessarily have before, which is a good thing. So, Sorry, quick side quest. I know we've probably gone long. How do you feel about, like, legalized sports gambling and then, like when you watch a game you see like a DraftKings kings logo like during the game and then there's all the commercials or sports books
3: what do you think about listening to the whistleblower podcast with <laughs> draft type ads between segments <laughs> dude? it's so
2: funny <laughs> yeah and then they have to do the like 1-800 red line in tennessee call blah blah blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then it goes to tim donaghy being a degenerate gambler it's like so many mixed messages i I don't know. I think it's fun. I think it's okay. Like maybe the the ads could back off a little bit, but I think it's harmless fun. Yeah, I agree. I
3: mean, le- gambling needs to be legalized just so that it can be taxed, mm-hmm. and so that it can just be not this weird, overlook thing that every single person knows is happening. Like from the time I remember, basically being a conscious human. First or second grade, I've been doing like NCAA brackets for like five bucks,
2: right? Yeah,
3: <laughs> and that was illegal, Pap, for the for <laughs> a long time.
2: <laughs> I think it still is illegal, actually. But really, I don't know. Like, do
0: you have a license
2: for that bracket pool you're running?
0: We we're having a good time. Yeah, you know, we would go to titty bars. Yeah, you know, every once in a while we bring one of them home. We had tons of money. You know, we were having a good old time. We were getting girls and stuff. We were banging girls left and right. I remember, oh, I, I don't even know if I should, well, either I was getting blown in the backseat, or he was, and he was trying to drive, and he was looking back at me as I was getting blown or I was banging, and I was banging this one girl, and he was in the bed next to me with his girl, and he's like, dude, get off her. Let me show you how that's done. And, like, we switched girls and stuff. But one of the girls was his, like, alleged girlfriend. And he was like, don't blow him. (laughs) He told this girl, don't blow me. I guess he had a connection with her, you know? It's kind of funny. But I don't think we'll get pissed at that. He was married, but he didn't give a shit. But I didn't give a shit either. I was cheating on my first wife, too. I'll
3: give Whistleblower a yes, Pat. I understand it's also entertainment but I do think Tim Livingston aired on the side of journalism more often than not. I appreciated that. I appreciated how personable he was as just like a host. Pretty well done. Um, I think they put together like a pretty good argument. It's not the like ultimate like resource on the subject. I think there's like other more academic sources, but it's a great listen. I'll give it a yes. And Pat, I know you have cynicism, but I know you're obsessed with the Tim Donaghy stuff. So I'm interested to hear what he's got to say for your yes or no.
2: (laughs) Oh yeah, I'm gonna give it a hard yes. I just can't get enough of this stuff. And like I said, this whole format is extremely entertaining. The production company who made Whistleblower Tenderfoot TV, like I've listened to one of their podcasts before with someone. It was one of those like true crime podcasts that I'm not necessarily a fan of, but like in depth profiles and. This is very reminiscent of that type of show, and this is just a super compelling story. Like I think uh, the FBI agent even says at some point, like it'll make you a good podcast and hopefully a better movie. Like there's got to be a Tim Donaghy movie, a hundred percent in our lifetime, like without question. And it's going to be exaggerated too. Like they might even lead into like the mob stuff a little bit more. But it's just a really good fucking. Story. I, I would say though that it's, if you listen to it, it's real important to look up some like Sean Patrick Griffin, or like the Bill Simmons podcast we listen to. Like, and even more so if you watch that fucking Netflix documentary, which has so much less context and shows, I think, considerably less of like the counterpoint next to Tim Donaghy's lies, um, because it makes for a better story when you do that. But just, you know. Take everything Tim Donaghy says with a critical eye. I think Whistleblower does a fine job of that. And I, yeah, like you said, I'm just obsessed with the Tim Donaghy topic in general. I can't get enough of it. I really can't. So, uh, hard yes for the podcast. But the documentary would probably give a soft no.
3: Is it just one,
2: like, 90-minute movie that doc or what? I think it's, like, 75 minutes. It's, like, even less.
3: It's not a series or
2: anything. It's just one. It's part of a series called Untold, which I think Bill Simmons said is super ironic because every literally every single thing in the documentary has been told and has been out there for, <laughs> for many years. There's nothing new in it at all. Do you have any basketball trivia ready?
3: I didn't, but... I- I, did, I thought it was weird to do trivia on a one v one. That's true because one of us is going
2: to know the answer and have a. The, it, we didn't do
3: our so opening question. Influence. Let's do it for the ending. Oh yeah. Who should play.
2: Who should play Tim Donaghy in the movie? I got a cocky Midwestern boy with a lot of swag. Loves Notre Dame and the Cubs, so it'd be great to have him on our side influencing games. we got Vince Vaughn as playing okay. Tim Donaghy. I kind of see it in the jawline and more of like the cocky swag of the assholeness. I had a hard time picking like a good comp in terms of like or like looks, though. Uh, I couldn't think of one for that. But who do you have
3: for yours to work? He probably needs to be a little bit younger.
2: Oh yeah, I was thinking like Rudy, like
3: a younger Vince Vaughn. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna go for a younger Tom Hanks, mm. and I want him to pl- I want him to play the role like he is the good guy like that's what tom hanks method acting thinks tim <laughs> Carnegie is good
2: <laughs> tom hanks like he's fighting the mob actually like <laughs> <laughs> he's
3: been working to like bring truth to athletics the entire time yeah. going back to his childhood
2: yeah he's like he tells the mob but all of your drug and bad money on this game then he fixes the game the other way and takes him down single-handedly
3: and the reason he's calling that other ref before every single game is to like talk him out of fixing games
2: no whatever you do don't don't fix it for how many points which team okay don't don't forget about your morals well when tom cruise stars in that movie we'll be sure to cover it here on spoilers Thank you, Tom Hanks. Picturing. Oh, Tom Hanks. Oh, I, th- I was picturing Tom Cruise. Tom, young Tom Hanks? See, yes. I was picturing Tom Cruise because he's so unhinged. Like, he doesn't, like, he genuinely believes he's a hero.
3: Tom Hanks. No, I want Tom Hanks playing it
2: super straight. Oh, man. That was my point. <laughs> that would be sad. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> but, thank you for listening. Hopefully this podcast didn't make you sad. If you enjoyed it, if you liked us covering different types of things, doing a podcast on a podcast, Be sure to let us know, and Spoiler Man will let you know how to do that. Take it away, Spoiler Man.
1: If you'd like to request an episode, hear your name read by Spoiler Man, or even just help us make podcasts, please check us out on patreon.com slash spoilerspodcast. Special thank you to our patrons. What do you think about Spencer? He was always a good dude, but he's an alcoholic. Loved the game, but he's an alcoholic. The wolf. From the time we left at like lunchtime till three in the morning and got up the next day, looked like shit, but refereed the fucking game. Yeah, we were, I was in the back seat. Nick I was in the front seat and he hit the fucking toll booth. Boom! <laughs> fucking alcoholic. David. Bad alcoholic. Barky 420 So we're like, oh fuck. We drove like an hour and a half down the highway to another casino just to gamble.
0: Matt Troll.
1: He got all fucked up and didn't know he had a fucking game at one o'clock in the afternoon. Went to bed at like four o'clock in the morning. They woke him up out of the hotel. He says he, he fucking ref drunk. A lot of bad alcoholics. The Meg. Bad alcoholic. J. B. Kerr. He almost fucking, and he, he had a DUI. He was another one that was a bad drinker. And then Brother Brian got caught in the uh, crack house in Miami, so he finally went to rehab. Total movie recall. It was drinking, chasing pussy, but it was chasing to go out and you know see if you got lucky.
3: Nurse Stacy.
1: She looked back at me and said, "Uh, "You know, do something." I said, "You do something." What the fuck's he driving for? Why aren't you driving? I, was, I went to a casino with Druid King. I swear to God, not exaggerating,
4: he had 25 Miller Lights. That was spoilers.